So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, well, here it is. Uh, here it is, David. It's another Thursday morning. This is our regular time when I get to see you. We get to talk, have our weekly conversation. Absolutely. Share that with uh, listeners around the world. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have, have it's been, this today already has been a morning of contrasts for me. Yeah. And uh, I can already feel the challenge to my own uh, stability, emotional stability, serenity, uh, you know, that foundation mm-hmm. for sobriety. Mm-hmm. So uh, Allie and I are still in Florida. Yeah. Last night, we had our two youngest grandkids stay with us overnight. Uh so I had grandkid time with him yesterday. We did putt putt golf and we had ice cream and we watched the Munsters and you know we ate food and, and uh, you know and they were just adorable. And we got up this morning and uh, went out on the went out on the beach to walk the dog as the sun came up. And I mean, it's just beautiful, right? Uh, and then I got on my uh, computer and saw these terror just stunning images right uh, today happens to be the day that russia has launched its uh, long predicted invasion of the ukraine right right um and uh suddenly the world feels there's a part of me that feels like the world is going sideways mm-hmm. um uh, you know i'm a, i'm a somewhat of a student of history and have read an awful lot about uh, the world wars in the 20th century. Uh, and I see, you know, huge geopolitical forces colliding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed I didn't, I could easily, if my, I was grateful that the grandkids were here, mm-hmm. uh, because I easily could have gotten lost for, uh, the entire morning and, the temptation still exists when we get done for me to just kind of now just uh, submerge myself mm-hmm. in all of the drama that's going on on the other side of the Atlantic. Right. Um, now, I do want to stay informed. I do want to I do want to remain. I want to care. I want to be empathetic. Mm-hmm. I want to do what I can. Now I can pray i can Mm -hmm. pray for uh all the people caught up in the insanity of that combat Mm -hmm. um but there's not a whole hell of a lot beyond that that i can do right 
Uh, I can, however, kind of uh, I do feel, David, as though right. I'm not about to go out now and use right. However, if I continue to stay, if I if I allow myself to become obsessed with this situation and and begin to try at least on an emotional level mm -hmm. to, to control it, or if I allow you know my fury over the injustice of it all mm -hmm. uh, to to consume me, mm -hmm. I, I know that I will be dragged toward the edge of the precipice. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's going to be enough emotional distress there yeah. that I will be at risk for relapse. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think that's a timely and, and great uh, uh, admonition uh, to us all struggling, you know, along the recovery road at times uh, right. with how immersed to be in the world that we are bombarded with information about, right, you know, right, globally, right, right. I think obviously we all have to be aware and informed and um, Americans often are accused of, you know, being rather myopic with what happens in the rest of the world. We can't really, yeah. this is one, you know, we can't really ignore, but you know, the way our news cycles are so set up, experts are telling us that we don't have the capacity uh, the brain emotional capacity to absorb the way that we receive information now, you know, yeah, I mean, right, it's, I right. think, it's an, it's an unending torrent. Yes. And the, and the, and the temptation to turn this, um, this war into a TV show basically right. by just yeah. staying on your, you know, news feed of choice uh, and watching it unfold day in and day out, hour by hour, what's happened now? What did I miss? Oh, what about, you know, because it, it is easy to get sucked into that, that, that way of thinking. And we don't have the bandwidth to do that. Um, yes. We just don't. And so I think that, uh, like you said, I, I, I have the same reaction. I, <laughs> I didn't have quite the picturesque morning you did. It was 32 degrees <laughs> here in, in Franklin, <laughs> Tennessee, uh, and it was pouring rain. And uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I had to take my dog out for her morning walk and, and uh, Lily doesn't poop in the rain. Uh, she has a policy oh. uh, about that. <laughs> so <laughs> we walked around the block in 32 degree weather in pouring rain and yeah. uh, with a dog that would not take a shit. <laughs> and, <laughs> so by the time I got back in my building, I was not uh, exactly in the most amused state of mind. And then, yeah. You know, got back upstairs. Uh, we got in, and uh, I, you know, had my Keurig and uh, popped on the TV. And to your very same experience, I saw, you know, the news unfolding, and yeah. I, my heart just sank. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I thought, oh, you know, all, and of course, we all go to fear. We all go to our own, you know, uh, places that it could impact our world in different ways, mm -hmm. and. Uh, you know, the markets and all the, you know, right. just everything and cyber right. stuff and just how it all could be. And, and I had to stop myself and go, okay, I, I think I'm going to have to make a decision that I'll allow myself to check in in the morning and to check in in the evening. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the day, I can't, 
I can't be absorbed and obsessed by all that I can't control. You know, right. um, I've got to surrender. I've got to trust. I've got to, um, it, you know, and it doesn't guarantee us any outcomes that we want. But right. uh, but what I've got to do is preserve the bandwidth of um, of empathy that I have to to so that I can use it in the places that it, that I can be useful. You know, yes, because if I'm so yeah. spent, if my empathy is so exhausted by uh, just being engaged in constant bombarded information um, that I'm, I'm going to be so I'm going to be so distracted from the people that are right in front of me now. Yeah. You know, so while I don't want to sound indifferent at all to this terrible event um, and it's going to go on for a little while, it looks like um, yeah. I I want to be sure that I can that I can realize that I only have so much bandwidth um, and that, you know, <laughs> every time a kid falls out of a tree in Nebraska, it makes national news somewhere and I'm supposed to care about it, you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah, and it's yeah, sad yeah. for the kid that fell out of a tree in Nebraska and for his family. But I don't have the capacity to know about every single one of those events. And then when the world goes really crazy like this, um, I've got to really limit my 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 in investment emotionally yeah. in it because I, I need to protect that bandwidth for the things that I can change as the prayer says. Um, yeah. and, and have some modicum of, of sanity, uh, in the, in the process. Cause you know, we're going to all need to support one another, I think in the, in the future in many ways. And, um, just as we had to learn to do with COVID, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I kind of feel like it's, um, maybe, you know, God willing, if we learn some things in COVID about supporting one another, they'll come in handy in this event, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but I, I totally resonate. I think it's a great, um, you know, great encouragement, honestly, to us that you, that you brought up. Yeah. Uh, Allie and I had a conversation yesterday, which she pointedly asked me whether during times that she and I are together, uh, I would be willing to put my phone on airplane mode. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, it's a related issue, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Very much uh, related issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, um, I'm not going to be available to save the world. Uh, if I can't answer the phone. So it's a real dilemma for uh -huh. me uh, and my messianic ambitions. Uh -huh. But I do know that uh, that is very much a reasonable request on Allie's part. She knows how distractible I am. Uh -huh. And uh, she doesn't ask a lot of my time, uh -huh. but she would really like that when we have time together, I am fully engaged. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and here's what I know. I need that connection with Allie, uh, -huh. uh to meet my own intimacy needs to, as, as part of, as positive sobriety. Right. Right. Yeah. And if I let, if I let go of that and all that I'm engaging, uh, are screens and, uh, and then, you know, world conflicts and everything else is going uh -huh. things that are beyond my control feeling outrage 
feeling helplessness, feeling uh, uh, anger, feeling depression, feeling fear. Mm -hmm. And I am not uh, connected with the person God has given me to be connected to. Mm -hmm. Well, then I'm really putting my uh, sobriety at risk. Yeah. And 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 robbing uh, Allie of my company. She needs my presence as well. Right. She needs to know that when I'm with her, I'm with her. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know, and we say it a million times on this podcast, uh, that connection is yeah our is our key. You know. Right. And uh, yeah. and and the idea that um, my phone is going to provide me intimacy or that feeling of connection and being known and uh, loved mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, such a myth. And, and I like you, you know, have, uh, the opportunity to be with someone and, um, my phone will ding and I'll get a look and it's, yep. it's just, a like, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. And, uh, and I'll take the connection with the person, sitting across from me you know okay yeah yeah hey uh you've gone far afield again this week to bring us a a, a guest uh i we've got a guest who has got some i i think some fascinating uh new ideas some fresh ideas about how uh families Mm -hmm. uh who uh have found themselves enmeshed in one way or another in the addictive experience uh, what's the best way to support and help those families Yeah, and help that person about whom they are most concerned. So uh, with that little intro, we'll take a pause and return in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Yeah. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, we've got another great guest this week. We do. Uh, joining us from Boise, Idaho, or Boise. I'm told that it's pronounced different differently by the natives than by people who live outside. Is that is that true, Jake? Do you, is it more a Boise than a Boise? Is it more an S than a Z? Have you picked up on that? I have picked up on it. Good day, guys. And I know I say a Boise. And okay. I definitely hear it differently among folks who have been here a long time, the long timers. Uh, and I'm not even going to try to replicate how they do it. I'm going to honor them. Uh, but yes, there is a difference. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, our host today is is Jake LeClaire, the uh, founder of uh, Emerge. Emerge Center. Yeah. Emerge right. Center. Yeah. yeah. For addiction okay. recovery. He's a recovery navigator. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, David, good job connecting us with Jake. Yeah. One of the things I'm excited, Nate, just before we uh, let Jake jump in, is uh, the work he does that we're going to talk about today involves the family in recovery. And one of the things that I feel like often is the um, either the weak link or the missing piece in um, in the recovery treatment programs that we offer folks is that the family kind of has to sit outside of it all until the 11th hour. And then they get brought in uh-huh. and um, kind of brought up to speed. And then everybody goes home and is supposed to play nicely. And um, so I'm excited to hear about Jake's program today because he takes a different approach 
than uh, many folks do and with uh, Emerge Center and and the work that they're doing. So uh, anyway, Jake, welcome to the podcast. And Nate, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You go ahead and <laughs> say no, what no, you were no, going to no, say. That's great. So. That's great. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, Jake, welcome. So glad you're with us. Uh, we always make the assumption when we're talking with somebody else who's working in the field of uh, addiction recovery that they didn't get there by chance and it wasn't just mere intellectual curiosity that probably got them there. Uh, all of us have a story that gives us a passion for recovery. Uh, is that true of you as well? 100%. You know, uh, in some cognitive way, um, I, I don't know, you know why I would choose this except my heart tells me uh, this is my purpose. This is the purpose I was given. And I do remember now in the last year, it's come to me when I was about four and a half years old in my family of origin, there was a plenty of dysfunction. And I mm -hmm. remember in my heart thinking so passionately, there has got to be a better way to do it than what's going on here. You know, I grew up in a town with 900 people. Our family was a large family in that town. Um, and our family's challenges uh, were uh, broad and the resources for help were very, very limited in that rural environment. And I can just feel that little boy when I want to connect to him that's just so passionate that there's just got to be a better way than living this way. And that's really driven me um, through much of the adventure. That, uh, my passion for horses and the way they uh, at times uh, have really kept me on the rails. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, much as I tried, there was also no escaping the addictive pattern uh, in my own life. So eventually, yes, uh, I got in the same mess. I grew up around. I was so convicted that there had to be a better way. And as a result of, uh, gosh, what really in some ways is an unexplainable miracle, here I am. I made it. And I'm very convinced that my purpose is to go back in there with some buckets of water, splash them on people who also want some help. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit, if you will, about your introduction to recovery. What got you there? What was your early experience? What 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 were the the what were the the fresh insights that arrived as you found yourself on this new road? Mm. Well, today I have a family who is broadly in recovery. The miracle of recovery has found us uh, broadly. And I, I know for a lot of folks, uh, they're actually taught that sort of that expectation is one to not count on. So mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that. And I remember, you know, so flash forward, I talked about being a four and a half year old boy, maybe um, now I'm seven, eight, nine. Uh, my mom, um, who was the wife to the alcoholic at the time, mm -hmm. uh, sought counseling. She raised her hand for help as the spouse. Uh, and, you know, we're talking in the 1980s in rural upstate New York. Uh, so that's kind of a bold move, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And um, she found herself in Al-Anon. And she tells me the story uh, of uh, after going to Al-Anon for a while, the women sat her down and informed her that she had a role and she needed to look into it. Uh, and, and then I remember my mom talking openly in her home about that she was seeking help and she was going to this thing, Al-Anon, and they were teaching her what to do to make it better, at least make it better. And so I think she planted a seed about the idea of the concept of the whole family recovering. Uh, she planted a seed that it wasn't okay, um, despite uh, all of our family's eventual challenges with this problem. And um, 
it just continues to be incredible to see how the seeds of childhood germinate today. When I was at the end of my rope, uh, I'd been trying to end my life through overdose for six months. And that was at the early part of 20, late 2016, early 2017, living down in San Diego at the time. Uh, and I couldn't do it. Unexplainably, uh, I could not get myself overdosed uh, and off myself, frankly. Mm-hmm. So what happened was in, in my change, it, it was one of those uh, white lightning type of changes. I woke up in March 2017. So it's coming up on five years ago and something had just radically shifted. Whereas I was going hard and fast in the direction of staying loaded on a daily basis. I would even say I had to be loaded on a daily basis. It had reached that point. Something had shifted after this run and I was just exhausted. I was beat. I was done with my best ideas uh, and that surrender, I, I caught actually in the beginning of the intro to your podcast, you talk about surrender uh, and, and of my first big surrender. Now, I still need them on a daily basis. I, I'm still always looking for more surrenders, but I was granted the gift of a huge surrender by something far greater than me. I tried all my best ways. And uh, then the story goes, um, that I had it in my, I still had some streak of entitlement, guys. Uh, truly in San Diego, the uh, non-professional uh, peer-based groups are incredible. And I had a streak of entitlement and I thought I needed to go to rehab. Uh, and my mom was willing to support that. Uh, and uh, I had it in my head that I needed to be really fancy and go to rehab outside the country. Oh, wow. Well, the good news was, <laughs> right. The good news was uh, that we got an incredible bang for our buck. I feel like I got to go to one of the best programs in the world, despite my entitlement streak, despite my best ideas, uh, something greater than myself guided me to something really incredible in Central America. And I just continued uh, these surrenders Um and I just continued this evolution. There were miracles down there um, that just still mean the world to me. And one thing was clear, guys. That thing uh, was that I was kind of out of chances. Like my family was going to invest in this one chance. Um, they were going to be very committed this one time. And maybe at the time I I, I felt, felt kind of angry about that. But man, today I can see the gift uh, of them finally committing that this was it. Enough was enough. You know, I had a spouse who also um, strongly committed to a program of his own recovery um, at the same time as mine, getting on the road to recovery together. Um, And, um, you know, off we went. Um, My path has uh, certainly been far less than perfect. Uh, and on a daily basis, by putting this first at the same time, man, the things that have come true today, life beyond my wildest dreams and an opportunity to live out my purpose. Wow. wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And so yeah. Jake then kind of, you know, fast forwarding because maybe not that fast, it's not been that long, but um, how did you then link up with uh, Emerge and begin the work that you're doing with them and the family work that, that goes on? Certainly. Uh, Some of it by coincidence, certainly, but I'm not sure there is such a thing as coincidence. Uh, For for me, uh, in my early recovery, um, I got reconnected to horses. 
And so, as I mentioned, when I was seven, uh, in all that chaos, uh, my dad and his loving heart got me in front of horses uh, and it was an instant connection. And some other adults got really involved in supporting me, my interest, a shared interest in the horses. Uh, And uh, that just made a life or death difference for me. Uh, And that was the initial way that I could see a model of recovery because it was so familiar for me, Mm -hmm. my model of the world. But what we also know is that this equine therapy is incredibly beneficial uh, for adolescents, for trauma, for PTSD. Uh, And so that has evolved. Um, And what was great about it was it was something familiar and something actionable uh, sort of early in my recovery. And since then, what's happened uh, is I just continue to pour myself into the evolution, the innovation of, of what's possible. And I've come across a few people who have this, this uh, theory that is continuing to emerge as very promising, that as valuable as, as the Al-Anon program is, there is, there's actually a next generation that's possible or a, a next evolution that's possible. And that is that when a single family member is concerned about someone's addictive patterns, uh, rather than telling them, like, say, oh, you need to learn to practice acceptance or there's nothing you can do. Those are some answers they get. Actually, there's a ton they can do. There's a ton any loving family member can do to love someone differently who's struggling with addictive stuff uh, that starts quite frankly often with them learning uh, this very simple sentence that sentence is no no is a complete sentence for a mother who loves a son or daughter struggling with addiction uh, and goes so far so <clears throat> the other part of it is uh try as I may to to focus on other things. I have a gift with the mothers uh, and I have an ability, a special ability that I can't deny myself to reach them, to support them uh, and to move them in a better direction so that they can inspire the recovery around someone in their life they're concerned about. What's interesting is uh, time and time again, when one person in the family starts to grow, often the mother in my model of recovery, she inspires by virtue of her action, by virtue of her growth, she inspires the whole family to grow. So now you have another relative who's catching the bug for her progress. They start growing. That um, starts to interrupt the addictive process Okay, and it also does it in a far less dramatic or catastrophic manner uh, than some of the ways we've been used to. You know, we know interventions, a traditional intervention like the one you see on TV, that's effective about 90% of the time. So in a way, that's a very effective model. Uh, in a way, it's re-traumatizing. And the work we can do with mothers can also start to be more trauma-informed and move away from re-traumatizing experiences. So in a perfect world, in um, my model of recovery, the person who's struggling with a substance or a behavioral addiction uh, just starts to think recovery would be a good idea. 
And I remember that in my story too, right? For about six months, we had no professional support. You know, that's um, to speak of in the last six months of my use. And I was starting to say like, mm, I think I'd like to do something different. Mm, this isn't working. There is that six month window. And this model of working with families first can inspire to the acceleration of that six window, six month window in my work. Yeah. Well, friends, David and I are pleased to welcome to the podcast a new sponsor, Soberlink. And we're positive that you're going to love this tool for managing your alcohol recovery. In early sobriety, we often focus on what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. Soberlink, you're gaining increased accountability, a deterrent against drinking, and a tool to help you stay connected with people who care. Uh, here's what it is. It's a really high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones. In case there's ever a slip, your treatment professional or anyone else you've chosen to be in your recovery circle will know immediately. Uh, more important than the technology is the brand. It is part of Soberlink's mission to break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which is why they partner with Positive Sobriety Podcast and many others in the recovery community. It's also why they specifically focus on using alcohol monitoring as a recovery tool, not for criminal or recreational purposes. There, any, there isn't anything like it on the market. Well, together we've developed a guide called Tips for Keeping a Positive Outlook on Sobriety. And you can download it at www.soberlink.com slash PSP. That PSP is for Positive Sobriety Podcast. On that page, you'll also find a form to request $50 off your purchase when you're ready to try Soberlink. All right. Um, so... Can we can we just uh, talk for a few minutes about equine therapy, uh, David? I don't know that we've ever talked about equine therapy on the uh, show. Not have really. We? I mean, we have a number of uh, treatment centers that offer it, but not specifically about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, can you uh, help ex explain to us and to our listeners, Jake, kind of what the dynamics are between a human being and a horse, and how in the world can that interplay? assist in uh in recovery mm. i start by saying if it sounds wild to someone i totally understand yeah sit with us open your heart just with some curiosity see how it lands uh there's several things proven by science uh just to sort of set the context there's a lot of forms of equine therapy it's a broad label okay uh, uh, and so it's, it is important when you think about the way horses help people uh, to sort of drill into a specific modality of the equine therapy. Uh, so I've been around a bunch of different modalities. I'll focus on the, the work I'm finding helps addictive family systems the most. I start by saying uh, that horses are 100% honest all the time. Uh, they do not ever try to people please you. They will tell you exactly what you need to know. Uh, 
regardless of the consequences on their life because of that. Uh, science also shows horses are 100% in the present moment. They have no conception of the past and no conception of the future. And when you take a, a, a family struggling with some kind of addictive pattern, we know that one of the ways they cope is to jump to the future or the past. Right. Okay. And a horse not only teaches them about the value of that, but university research shows that purely from the horse's frequency from the horse's energy if you're within a 15 foot radius of it without doing anything at all it starts to inspire your movement toward the present moment just energetically let alone once you start to dive into the work so that's the second aspect the third the third feature that's so powerful with uh these families with the horses is they're a mirror to exactly what's going on with you and so you know, we, all, we all have varying uh, extents of self-awareness, some more, some less, but they tell us what we need to know because they are a mirror. And so, for example, I remember a few years ago, I went to see one of the horses in the afternoon. This is when we were still living in Southern California. And um, I'm handling him and he's acting a little irritable and I'm projecting, why are you so irritable today? What's going on? Because this... For me, sometimes not feeling my feelings, not knowing just simply what my emotion is, is a challenge. And, you know, 15, 20 minutes into it, oh, wait, Jake, maybe he's irritable because you're irritable because I'm irritable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Check in. Is that the feeling? That's it. So that's an example of how they're always a mirror to how we're feeling. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. So, um <laughs> As I understand it now, Jake, you, uh, I hear, by the way, I've been asking you a couple times questions in the singular, talking about the individual by the addict. And I noticed that you respond by talking about the family and the family system. Uh, it, it seems to me that you've got a pretty wide vision. You see a family system involved and that's where your heart and passion is. Uh, how does that work out now in the endeavor that you're in, which you're currently engaged? How does what's the mission of Emerge uh, as it relates to the family? Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking. The mission going forward is to help mothers who love a son or daughter struggling with some form of addictive pattern uh, in their life to support that person on a path to recovery so that the whole family can eventually be restored to wellness and return to a healthier form of love. And okay. the, the nuances that we reach someone who has an addictive problem through a loved one first. Now, when they want to uh, connect with me, when they want to come to the table, by all means, it's just that usually in the beginning, they're not as interested in participating in the conversation. Uh, the, the, addict, the addict isn't? The, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So mom's, mom's the one who's initiating the conversation. She, on behalf of the family, she comes to you and your role. Another phrase I've heard you use is uh, recovery navigator. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Thanks. Yeah. 
well, a similar term that is out there in the industry might be more familiar is nurse advocate. Those people are available also. Um, there are a few recovery navigator concepts popping up around the US. Uh, the idea is that the navigator is retained by the family to represent the best interest solely of the family. Uh, and so if there is a bias, it is for the best interests of the family and their investment in the navigator. Mm-hmm. Now, the the way I'd like to think about that is like, if the three of us were planning a trip to hike Kilimanjaro in six weeks or six months, like, would we just show up because we watched some YouTube videos and we thought we like knew how to do it? Or like intuitively, would we hire a trail guide? And I hope at least if the three of us are going to do it, that we're on the same page, we're going to probably look for a trail guide to go up Kilimanjaro, right? Yep. Uh, And that's a lot what a navigator is. Now, the term healthcare navigation is better known in areas like oncology or uh, in the emergency room when there's a car accident. And the idea is that when uh, someone... Uh, whether it's the car accident victim or the person struggling with the addiction, the individual uh, is in the crisis. It is plenty of responsibility for the family just to love that person, not yeah. think about or know about what that person needs and the whole family needs to go forward. And that, in that example, that is the reason why retaining a navigator makes so much sense to be your trail guide before you go climb Kilimanjaro on your own. And and so Jake, you would then um, would you help them navigate the uh, the treatment options, the modalities that are available to them that might best suit the uh, loved one that they're that they're working with or trying to help. Um, and and can a person in you know Illinois uh, take advantage of of your services because you're in Boise, Boise, somewhere, uh, Idaho, you know, so, so is that, is that something people can just access? hundred percent. Uh, so the first thing that I'm so committed to is, uh, I think everyone facing a situation like this could benefit from 20 minutes of no fee advice. Uh, mm-hmm. so if they want to raise their hand uh, and have that conversation, I love adding that value, uh, to at least get them started. When families see that there's a fit worldwide, I'm available. Uh, so I actually have zero clients in the Boise market right now, and I have all clients outside the Boise okay. market. I have made the decision uh, in the past, call it three months, really feeling at home in Boise, having been here a year. I have made the decision to uh, put my stake in the ground here in Boise uh, with my practice. Uh, and I feel that the future expansion uh, will be twofold. I feel called toward developing a really robust a set of very publicly available, generous, accessible, low-cost body of work uh, to really provide value to basically everyone in the Boise area. And then in my more private practice, uh, the call it the Swiss army knife of your family's recovery, um, that's, that's where I can be available worldwide. Okay. Uh, well, it's a it's a very intriguing concept. I I, I think it's a role that is uh, desperately needed. 
Uh, it's so easy in all the emotional turmoil that addiction produces to just to get lost in the in the woods going from crisis to crisis. Uh, and especially if you if if you're new to the field, if you're just trying to save a loved one, uh, you're not aware of the options. Uh, you tend to just grasp at whatever comes by. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that advice is uh, is good for you. And sometimes it's self-service, self-serving on behalf of the person who offers it to you. Uh, so I really do like the idea of an informed and empathetic and completely impartial guide who can help your family uh, get to the other side. That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, thank and, you. And like I said, I think that, uh, you know, so much of what uh, I see with families is that they do care. They do want to help. They're not, you know, they're not trying to write off this person and they're, they're doing everything they can to, to hold them uh, as closely as possible, but they just don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to uh, how to navigate it, and they don't understand very often the the very um, disorder that the person's dealing with. So this yeah, is yeah. super valuable. And hands down, the family is doing the most, the best that they know how. Mm-hmm. They are trying to love that yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just aren't really raised with an instruction manual on how to love someone in a way that interrupts an addiction. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love the point about um, uh, bringing in professional help um, who can provide case-by-case information. Uh, really, in this year, um, a big part of my mission is we cannot leave this illness up to coincidence and good luck. I'm thankful that coincidence and good luck and that kind of stuff work for me. Uh, mm-hmm. but. Part of what I really want to drive an agenda on is enough is enough with this illness of leaving it up to coincidence and good luck, considering we don't really approach any other illness that way. We approach them scientifically, intentionally, and head on. So I really want to change that narrative. Yeah, that's wonderful. So uh, what is the best way for uh, listeners to reach you, contact you? Well, thanks for that. I'm actually about to launch a brand new site. So by the time this podcast airs, it will be live. That URL will be www.emergerecovery.org. I've made the decision to move my model to a nonprofit environment. Uh, And so we're making that change and implementing a bunch of new technology to help people find us better on the internet at the same time. Wow, fantastic. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jake. It's been a, it, it's been a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate, our guest today, Jake LeClaire, was... Um, uh, a really uh, kind of a unique uh, perspective for us. I know that we didn't uh, get to delve into just every single detail of his work, but the the mm-hmm. idea of the family being supported and navigated through the recovery process is 
really in in the world that I work in, kind of a novel thing, and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But families come to me, and they're so, um, you know, they're they're so enmeshed in the emotion and in the uh, just the the logistics and all the exhaustion yeah. of uh, having a loved one that's suffering. Uh, you know, with some type of disordered behavior or relationship to a substance, and they don't know what to do, where to go. And 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 then when they do get a person um, into uh, get help, often, you know, the, the gate is locked and the family doesn't get to have any real input or interaction with the treatment process, right, you know, yeah, and yeah, they're kind yeah, of just left yeah. out there and then maybe they get family weekend or something. Um, but nobody's walking with them, helping them navigate, um, how to be helpful, how to heal, who to start with, um, in the family to kind of spearhead all this. So I, I was really encouraged that, you know, there, there's somebody out there that's, uh, kind of bringing the thing we've done in the hospitals forever, uh, to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the therapist or the, uh, recovery coach who may help shepherd the person into treatment does not have the bandwidth. Here we are back on the bandwidth word again, mm-hmm. not have the bandwidth really to stay involved day to day through right. the treatment process, right? You need to hand that off to somebody else who's guiding. Mm-hmm. It struck me. I, I want to ask you this question. It struck me that uh, Jake in describing his mission said that he works with the mothers. Mm-hmm. He picks up on mom. When he's, yeah. yes, he's working with the family, but it sounds to me as though it's in his experience, it's usually the mother who's kind of initiating this thing. Yeah. So I have to ask you, is, does, does you, do you see that same pattern? Does that happen a lot? I see that a lot. And I was picked up yeah. on that too, because um, it is very often, uh, most often the mom who calls me yeah. on behalf of an adult child who's probably in their mid twenties or thirties. Um, but mom is still a part of the picture and she's going, you know, um, we got to figure this out, you know? Yeah. Um, and she's, she's spearheading, uh, you know, these things. And I, you know, I don't want to be so, you know, gender specific that everybody always deals with things a certain way, but I do find that dads tend to be very pragmatic uh, mm-hmm. and, and they tend to believe that, um, you know, tell him what to do and he'll do it. And if he doesn't do it, I'll see that he does it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mom wants to know why the pain, how do we get, you know, immersed in the right kind of place and the help, will he be taken care of? Will he or she be, yeah. you know, uh, will have their, their needs met in these ways. And yeah, it's very, most often, you know, the mom. Uh, in yeah, my yeah. in my experience as well, yeah, that I talk yeah. to, yeah. Oh, that's and, interesting. That's yeah. Interesting. It, I mean, it really is, and and it's also it, it's funny to me that that um, you know, with even um, working in that navigator role, um, I don't know it, it that he doesn't allow the whole family to bombard him at once, or he doesn't take on the mm-hmm. whole family at once. Cause there's too much energy, you know, right. um, I'll, yeah. I'll often have people come into my office one at a time, you know, or two yeah. at a time in a family. Um, if yeah. you're working with a family, because if you get six people in a room, there's no, you know, <laughs> I, I got mean, you. Yeah. Three, three minutes in and the, 
the shit flinging starts and you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. not going yeah, anywhere. Yeah. So right, um, right, right. Anyway. Yeah. I, I really applaud his work. I hope folks will look him up and uh, take advantage of his new website and see what, uh, what he might be able to resource for them. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Hey, uh, do remind us uh, of uh, one of our sponsors here before we let people go. Yeah, we really want to encourage everybody to take advantage or at least explore the opportunity to uh, visit BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com for the opportunity to have a licensed therapist uh, relationship in your counseling experience. Um, At BetterHelp.com, you can go on and you can be assigned a therapist, a licensed uh, clinician that is going to walk with you through any of the issues that you're experiencing that that would take you to any other traditional counseling uh, in-person method. Because BetterHelp.com is there for you and your uh, anxiety, depression, um, substance issues, LGBTQ issues, your family issues, and grief issues. Anything that you would go see in a regular in-person counselor visit, uh, you can access at betterhelp.com. And uh, the great thing, if you access betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, you'll get a discount on your initial subscription, and it helps us know that the resources we're offering you uh, are beneficial. So try betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. All right. Yeah, well, Dave, it's been great. David, it's been great uh, talking with you today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A little, a little more centered here heading into the rest of the day. Yeah. I'd love to hear from our listeners. We always do. We read all the mail. Uh, you can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. So that's it until next week. I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford. 